This is The Podcast Method. I'm Dan Benjamin. This show is all about answering your questions about podcasting, recording, audio and video equipment, software, mic technique, pre and post production workflows, and more. And I'm really glad that you're here. This is episode number 15. And I'm recording this on September 25th, 2015. We've got two sponsors I will thank right now and then again later on the show. They're really awesome for sponsoring us, and we really appreciate it. The first one is Linda, and the second one is Squarespace. And like I said, I'll tell you about them in a minute. You know, podcasting as an industry is so fascinating to me. It's something I do every day, and every day I kind of wake up, and I, I know I've said this before, but I wake up and I think, man, I can't believe I make money from doing something I really, really like to do. I make money from talking to people, and it's been such a long journey to get to the point where I could make any money doing this. Back when the industry was really, really young, I remember going to WWDC and watching Steve Jobs announce that they were adding podcast support to iTunes. And of course, it knocked Odeo uh, completely off their game, maybe fortunately for us because those folks went and made Twitter, so not so bad. But it so legitimized podcasting as something that was real. Apple, in a big way, helped make podcasting real. And now, of course, podcasting is very real, and there's lots of people who make uh, an income from it. There's some people who are lucky enough, like like I'm really lucky to be able to do this full time. And there's a lot of people who don't care about making any money at all. They're content to just go and do something and have a good time doing it. That's a very nice place to be because it's a hobby. But at the same time, when you encounter difficulties and trouble making that thing that's supposed to be fun into something that people anywhere can go and download and listen to, and you hit obstacles, it makes it a lot of not fun. And that's something that I really want to help people overcome is that challenge of, hey, let's go record something. And then somewhere along the way, something bad happens and you're like, it didn't work or we recorded it in a bad way or we lost these files or something bad happened. And that thing that was supposed to be fun, now it's not fun anymore. And the reason I bring this up, it's been on my mind a lot, is one of my friends, a host of one of the shows on 5 by 5 recently said that he told me he lost two shows to editing. And we were kind of curious, what does that mean? How, did you, how do you lose shows to editing? And he said, well, we, uh, we recorded the shows and the, the settings were wrong and the quality of the audio didn't come out very well and we, we lost both shows. How frustrating is that to record something or think you're recording it and find out, oh man, we forgot to hit record or we only recorded my side and not your side. This is something that happens to everybody. It's happened here. Like it just happens. How do you get around it? Well, you've got to put in place some, what I call just basics. And, and, you know, I remember when I was in college, I wanted to learn how to play guitar because I loved Led Zeppelin and I wanted to play Led Zeppelin songs. And my mom said, well, uh, I, I won't pay for you to learn Led Zeppelin songs, but if you want to like learn how to really play guitar, like, you, you know, you really want to do this the right way, I will pay for you to get real lessons. So I wound up for a very short period of time getting classical guitar lessons. So I like played a classical guitar. That's the kind with the neck that doesn't have any fret markings on it. And it's got these big nylon strings and it's very, very different from playing the kind of music that I was really interested in, but I'd always had an appreciation for classical music. So 
you know, and I knew how to read music from being a kid and taking like band stuff. So I was ready to say, okay, you know what? If I learn this, this classical method, if I learn the way that, uh, that, you know, guitar was originally meant to be played, maybe those basics, uh, whether it's reading music or how to properly hold a guitar and how to properly fret and how to translate these songs that I'm hearing to, to something that's a, a practice. If I could do that, then maybe those things would translate and make me a good, better at least, good guitar player in the styles of music that I was really interested in, which was, you know, rock and roll. And the fact is, it, it really did. Those basics translated really, really well. And I remember my guitar teacher, he was adamant about the basics, just the mastering the basics. And don't try to do anything hard. Don't try to play a complicated song if you don't even know how to hold the neck of the guitar in your hand, if you don't, if you don't have the proper form, the proper seating position. All of those things allow you to eventually maybe sort of kind of become Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> but, you know, you can't play crazy and, you know, fret the, 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 the string with your thumb the way Jimi Hendrix does unless you know the basics first, like you've got to start and master the basics. And he told me that his biggest challenge as he, you know, became a, an amazing guitarist over many, many years was always remembering those basics and always going back and focusing on them. And we can do that in podcasting too. And the basics I would identify as having really, really good mic technique. It doesn't matter if you're speaking into the worst microphone or the best microphone. If you don't have good mic technique, you will not sound good. It's that simple. You have to have great. In fact, let me go so far as to say you should have great mic technique. You should have perfect mic technique. If there's one thing that you're thinking about when you're recording is how am I addressing the mic? Because if that's not good, nothing else will be good. Doesn't matter what mic you've got. Now, I'm talking to you right now on a Telefunken M82. This is my favorite mic. You could go and try a Shure SM7. You can go and get the Samsung CO1U Pro. You can try the, uh, you know, there was this article that Marco came out, Marco Arment, who I had uh, a podcast with Build and Analyze for quite a long time. He came out with a long, meg, what he calls a uh, podcasting microphones mega review which he's been updating and talking about. And he even had some audio samples. There's this microphone on there that he's recommending called the Shure Beta 87A. It's an XLR condenser mic for about 250 bucks. You can go and get that. You can talk on the Blue Yeti for a hundred and something bucks. It doesn't really matter. If your mic technique is not good, you will not sound good. And I definitely have people who come to me and say, Dan, I'm not having a good results. How I, I got this nice mic. I spent $300 on a mic and I have $250 preamp and it doesn't sound good. And I find out they're right on top of the microphone and that's why they're getting this bassy, boomy sound. So I have a mic technique video that I made a while ago, which will be in the show notes along with the link to Marco's recent uh, microphone review. And that will be found at 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash 15. 
if you want to go and watch that video where I kind of very quickly demo good mic technique because it's so easy to forget. It's also easy to forget while you're recording. You could be half an hour into a show and realize you're <laughs> you're talking to your friend because you're looking at your friend or you're looking at your computer screen. So that's part of the basics. Basics is mic technique. The second would be understanding the room that you're in physically. I was going to say sound insulation, sound baffling, noise absorption. But I have recorded in many rooms that had terrible acoustics. Terrible. No paneling up on the walls, concrete floor, big conference table you know, small enclosed room where everything's just bouncing all over and and you think, man, I'm not going to be able to record in here. Well, you can. But this is directly related back to that understanding mic technique. People talk loud into their microphones a lot. They talk the way that they'd be talking in a bar on a Friday afternoon. You don't have to talk like that. If you were in the room with me right now and you were more than two or three feet away from me, you would miss some words because I'm not talking loud. I'm talking quietly. I'm talking probably the way I would read to my kid if I was putting one of them to bed and reading a story. That's about how loud I'm talking. If I talk a bit louder than that, well, I have a compressor running between the microphone and the audio interface. So that compressor, which is in the DBX-286S I'm always talking about, it will kick in and it will keep me from getting too loud. And if I talk very quietly, it will boost that. Well, you can do compression in software and post if you want. But it's very important to have at least a little bit of compression that keeps the voice contained. But I'm not talking loud, so don't talk too loud. Again, this is is all part of my technique, all part of these basics. But if you're in a room that's noisy, if you're in a room that's going to have a lot of sound bouncing back, you need to be aware of that. You need to know that that is happening. How? By monitoring yourself. I've said it before, say it again. You must monitor yourself. What does that mean? That means you have headphones plugged in and you're wearing them and they're turned on and you can hear yourself talking and you can hear your hosts talking. If you don't like the sound of your voice, that's okay. A lot of people don't like the sound of their voice when they first start talking or start podcasting and and they hear themselves. That's okay. I've talked about this many times on this show. You will get used to it. And if you don't like the sound of your voice, don't feel like you're the only one. A lot of people don't. You will get used to it, but it's so important that you monitor your own sound. If you're hearing an echo of your own voice bouncing back, you'll know to change the volume of your own voice or change the direction that you're facing. Face away from the computer screen, which is only a foot away from your microphone. You know, make those changes. You won't know that these problems are happening unless you're monitoring yourself in real time. So if you come back later and you're like, oh man, there was this echo on it. What was the echo coming from? Oh man, there was echo that was coming from the screen bouncing back at the mic. I wish I had known that. Well, you can know it. Now, one small note about plugging in microphones. Most USB microphones, the Yeti is an example, the Samson's uh, line, Most USB microphones have a headphone jack in them. It's very important to use this and not to plug into your computer if you're using a USB mic. Why? Because all USB mics have a little bit of latency. Latency means there's a delay in hearing the sound that the microphone is recording. 
there's a slight delay there. So if you're monitoring through your computer, you will hear your own voice, but you might hear it just a split second slow, and that's enough to really throw you off. But if you plug directly into the microphone itself, you're not going to get that delay. It's going to be instant. It goes right from the microphone, not into the computer, but right back into your ears. And then you would set the microphone as the sound output so that you can hear the other people that you're talking to remotely on Skype or wherever they are. Very important to do that. Always monitor. Always monitor yourself so that you can adapt it. You can change. What if there's a you know dump truck rolling down the street and you want to know, could I hear that? Was that recorded? Well, if you're monitoring, you'll know if, it's, if the microphone is noise rejection is enough to handle it or if you need to go back and post and try and clean that or if you need to redo the whole segment that you were recording. Very important to monitor. These are all the basics. Another thing that's really, really useful when it comes to these basics is actually recording the audio. That seems simple. It seems straightforward. You can make a template depending on what software you're using to record. You can create a template that you can just open every time. It'll have those settings in there every time. Now, Logic is a more advanced tool. I know a lot of people are using things like Audacity. You might be using Fission. You might be using GarageBand. Whatever it is that you're using, most audio applications have the concept or the notion of a template. Well, one thing that's a huge time saver, and Logic, because we use Macs around here, Logic is our go-to app for recording podcasts. For a long time, I used Pro Tools. Eventually, Logic just won out for me. It's more straightforward, and it gets the job done, and it's more affordable. For us, we make a template that has each one of the different channels that I frequently use all set up so that when it's time for me to go and record, I launch Logic. Right there, it says, which template do you want to use? This one. Boom. Done. Hit record on the channels I want to enable and then hit record and the whole thing just starts. I've already got all my templates in there. I've got my built-in compression settings. I've got my built-in EQ for each of the different channels I can pick. Is this a Skype guest? Is it is this Merlin or is it Andy? I have a different preset for each of them. I just load the one that I use for them and tweak it if I need to and I'm done. It's great and it saves a ton of time and that way when you're recording... There aren't bad settings. You never have to worry, did I record this right? Did I record that right? And I'll say again, if you are recording a remote guest and you know that they're recording their own end, which we call a double ender, great. Just double check that they're recording. And also you record their end with something like uh, with Skype call recorder. You record their end too, and you can use that as a reference. Record it on a separate channel. Always record everything on its own channel. Your voice, one channel. Guest voice, their channel. Another guest, their other channel. Now, a lot of people have asked me, how do you record all of these different people at the same time? I've heard you mention you have a Skype machine. What's a Skype machine? And how does all that work? I'm working on a video to explain this. It's hard to explain in a podcast with just audio, without visuals. And I don't want to waste your time. So I'm working on a video that's going to show you Here is a physical mixer. Here is a digital mixer. This is how to do mix minus on these. This is how you can record someone else with an old, old computer that was in your basement and use that and turn that into a machine that will let you record people with Skype and dramatically improve everything. Now, there's a couple other topics that I wanted to get to. Before I do it, I want to thank our sponsor. Our first sponsor is Linda. 
L-Y-N-D-A. The online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses that'll help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. If you want to try these guys out, the best way to do it is to go to lynda.com slash podcast method. That will get you a free 10-day trial and it will support this show. That'll make them come back and keep sponsoring the show, which will mean I'll be able to do more of them. So go to lynda, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash podcast method. And once you're there, you're going to find some really, really awesome videos. High-end videos, top-of-the-line videos. This is not YouTube stuff. These are professionals, industry experts, people who know what they're doing and do it for a living and know how to build a course that'll let you get in and get out and come away with a ton of knowledge. Thousands of video courses that are all on demand. You watch them on your schedule. You can access them on your iOS or Android device. Of course, you can watch them on your computer. You can even make playlists so you can go through one video after the next. And if you're just looking for a quick answer to a problem, jump in, find the answer, and get out. You don't have to spend a million years watching a million videos that aren't important to the problem you're trying to solve. Unlimited access to all these videos. Again, that URL, lynda.com slash podcast method. Free 10-day trial. Support the show. Learn something new in the process. Thanks for Linda for making this show possible. So the classical method, these basics. Now I want to talk one last thing about backup recording. There's lots of ways to record. Now here, we stream our audio live. Not on this show, but there's a lot of discussion shows that we do, a lot of fun talk shows that we do that we stream live. Sometimes we get five listeners. Sometimes we get 500 listeners. Sometimes we get more. It varies. It varies on the time of day. It varies on the show. Behind the scenes, we're doing this all with IceCast. So we have a server that runs software called IceCast, which is a replacement for Shoutcast, which was the industry standard for a long time. And we stream our audio. So it basically a wire comes out of the, out of the uh, back of our mixer and goes into a Mac, and the Mac is running, uh, is running Rogue Amoeba's NiceCast. And I'll put links to making a note to myself to put a link for you guys in the show notes that explain what those are. And we stream that audio from that little Mac all the way up to the IceCast server. So when people go to 5x5.fm or 5x5.tv slash live while we're recording a show, they can listen. You can listen on your phone. You can listen in any web browser. You can listen right on the website. And that's a lot of fun. It's just sort of like a bonus for people who happen to want to listen to the shows record live. Well, NiceCast also does something else that's really cool, and that is it lets you create a live archive of stuff. I think the original intention that Rogamiba had was that if you were streaming something out, you might want to record it. But it works great to do a backup recording. And the cool thing about it is you don't have to stream it to an IceCast server to get that backup recording. You can just use the the internal server. There's one that's just an internal server. It streams to nothing, but it'll still record for you. So when you hit start broadcast on that and start recording, you've got a great backup copy, but that's not the only thing that you can use to record a backup copy. You can use another Mac or another PC or any other device that has an audio input. Take an output from your mixer, if you're using a mixer, Plug it into your other computer. Plug it into a, one of the little Zoom H4Ns or H5Ns. Plug it into anything at all that has an audio input. I bet you could find an old tape recorder, <laughs> though I wouldn't recommend it. But anything that has an audio input. 
you could plug it into your iPhone and record. And you're thinking to yourself, well, what kind of quality am I going to get from one of these recordings? It's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. Well, there's two things to keep in mind. The first one is a not great recording is better than no recording. And if you find out something terrible happens, that that machine that you use, your primary recording machine, crashes or something terrible happens and you're about to potentially lose two hours of really great audio, well, now you have a backup. And the second thing to remember is, ideally, you should be exporting your audio as a 64K mono MP3 file. Over many, many, many years of testing, we've determined that that is the best compromise between quality and file size. 64K mono file, MP3. That's all you need for people talking. That's all you need to do a good job of recording the human voice. A lot of people have said, oh, it should be stereo. No, it should not. The human voice should not be stereo. Oh, well, no, it has to be stereo because I put uh, Frank on the left channel and Mary on the right channel and I just EQ him a little bit so that Frank is a little louder on the left and Mary's a little louder on the right. It makes you feel like you're right there in the con. No, it doesn't. (laughs) It really doesn't. Don't do that. I very rarely will tell you flat out, don't do something. Don't do stereo. There's so many reasons for this. I can come up with a whole bunch of them. A lot of people, here's one. A lot of people listen in their car. If you're driving the car, you're going to be sitting on the left if you're in the United States or you're going to be on the the right if you're in the UK. You're closer to one of those speakers. That means one of those people is already going to be louder. That's bad enough. Don't make it worse. Another reason, not everybody has the same hearing in both of their ears. Consider that. Not everybody is listening in stereo. Also, a lot of people do this, this weird thing where they want to lay in bed. And they would listen to their podcasts and they take it. What they do is they take an old pair of headphones, like the iPhone headset from their first iPhone, and they cut off one of the speakers so that they can lay on their left and have the right speaker in or vice versa. So they're only listening on one speaker at a time. You don't know. Here's the fact. You don't know how your listeners are going to listen to the show. You can't assume that they're going to have two headphones in. Why wouldn't they? Well, I don't know why, but they might not. You can't assume anything about the way people are going to listen. So if you give them a mono file, and the human voice is mono. You don't have the hi-hat up over here and the bass drum over here and the kick drum coming out of the the middle. And and No, that's great for like cool stereo music where you're going to be listening to the hi-fi in your living room. The human voice is a mono thing. So just roll with it. Mono 64K file. If you send, if you consider, back to the topic, if you consider that that's the correct and best way to send a file out to people and you're recording a 64K mono MP3 backup file, you might not be able to do all the kinds of post-production wizardry that you're used to doing on it, but it will be better than nothing. It will be much better than nothing, having that backup. Always have a backup. Always. I have many people who uh, have asked me, oh, I'm using Ecamm uh, Call Recorder for Skype and uh, I'm recording my end. Should, should my other friend record their end and also my end too? Yes. Have as many backups as you can. It's just space on your computer. And you know what? Once the show is edited and done, you can delete those extra backup copies. You can delete 
those multiple uh, multiple versions of the show and just keep the master. And I highly recommend keeping the master around. You never know when later on you want to come back and re-record or add to that episode or find a best of, make a best of show. So keep that around. Hard drives, they're cheap. So it's recording basics. You want to remember those things. Mic technique, have a backup. Save yourself some time and make a settings file. And you won't, you won't be losing shows anymore. That won't happen to you again. And go through a pre-flight checklist every single time. When a pilot goes and takes off in an airplane, there's about a thousand dials and switches that he or she and the co-pilot need to check out and make sure is right. They have to go over them one by one. Is this flap in this position? Is this switch in this position? Is this light green or red? If they don't, the plane could crash. Well, you need to have the same thing. Did I open a new file? Did I name the file? Did I make sure that it's saved? Did I enable the right tracks so that I can record the correct tracks? Are my co-hosts recording? Are they recording? Have they hit start? And the whole time that I'm recording, I have logic up and running on the screen so that I can look at the screen at all times. And my eyes may go off of the screen. I may look at my computer in front of me for my show notes or things like that. But I often find that the thing that I'm looking at the most is that little progress bar in logic showing the waveform, making sure that everything is recording. Everything is recording. Yes, all the channels are still recording. Cool. They call that the playhead, by the way. You just sit there and watch that playhead making those waveforms. Very important. The basics. Now, I wanted to talk for a minute about uh, a little bit more about Marco's microphone list because a lot of people have asked me about it. What Marco did, for those who don't know, Marco Arment, he is the uh, he was involved in Tumblr in the early days. He did Instapaper. He does the ATP podcast, and he did Build and Analyze with me for uh, for quite a number of episodes. Still a good show. You go back and listen. And he came out with this mega review of these microphones. And I'm guessing that he bought or rented a lot of them and tested them out. And many people have come to me and said, is, is this a good list? Is this a definitive list? Should we, should we buy the things that he recommends? And in the same way that I have recommendations that I've made about microphones, he has recommendations that he's made. There's some overlap. But it's so subjective Microphones are so subjective to everyone's individual voice. It's really tough to say. There isn't one mic that's going to work for most people. That's the unfortunate part of it is I could tell you, oh, go get the, go get the Yeti. And you might use the Yeti and say, oh, I sounded good. It sounded really good. And you'll use that and then you'll have an opportunity to use somebody else's mic. Maybe you, uh, maybe you go and, and try, a, I don't know. You get a really nice, expensive TLM-102, and you listen to yourself, and you're like, whoa, I sound amazing on this. You might try the PR-40 and think, why does everybody talk about the PR-40 as being such a great mic? I sounded awful on it. Everybody's voice is different. Everybody's voice is so different. And I've told the story before that uh, a co-host on, on a handful of my shows, Hattie, she was on for a long time the Heil PR-40 which is a fantastic microphone. 
And on a lark one day, I said, nah, let me put you on the Shure SM7. And I put her on that, and both of us, our jaws just dropped. She sounded amazing on the Shure. Amazing. And she said, I will, I will never use another microphone. This is my microphone. I sound terrible on the Shure. Maybe not terrible. I don't sound very good on it. I sound better on the PR40. I sound much better on the M82. Everybody's voice is so different. You need to go and try as many microphones as you can. Find friends who have microphones and try them. Because what one person says is a great mic for them, for you, might be the worst choice in the world. And that's why these kinds of recommendations are so challenging. When I read microphone recommendations, when I read them, I want to read about the frequency response of a microphone. I want to hear about how it handles noise rejection. Right now, my office here overlooks, if, uh, if you're familiar with Austin, it overlooks Mopac, which is a busy highway. And the Mopac service road is, I don't know, 50 feet from, from this window, maybe, maybe less. If you stand in the room, you're going to hear traffic. You're going to hear a lot of traffic. And there's traffic all day long here. No, nonstop cars moving past the window. Now I'm going to be quiet for a second. Tell me what you hear. Hopefully nothing. Well, that's because this Telefunken M82 has fantastic noise rejection. Fantastic. Even if I just go off mic a little bit, you can barely hear. That's how good it is at rejecting noise that's not right in front of it. I've also got a very, very minimal noise gate going on in the room, which handles filtering out any noise below a certain threshold. You have to be very careful with those because it can actually cut into your voice when you're talking if you do it too aggressively. And you can put that on in post. I have it in live. But you can put it on in post too. You would have no idea how loud this room is unless you were in here, just standing here. And you'd say, how do you record in here? Well, the microphones do a tremendous job of that. Dynamic microphones are fantastic at that. Now, if I was in a really high-end super high-end, like, recording studio in, in Hollywood or something. I'd probably be stock, talking to you on a condenser mic because I would have complete control over that environment. And I could use a completely different kind of microphone and I wouldn't have to worry about traffic outside my window or my neighbor's dog or my kids in the next room or an airplane flying by or an office mate sneezing. All of those are real concerns. Well, that a lot of that is going to be deter, is going to determine the kind of microphone that you should get. One person's favorite microphone. What that means is their voice with their mic technique in their room with their environment and their expertise in pre and post production. It's not going to be the same as yours. So your best bet is to try lots of different microphones. I think if you take the microphone recommendations that I've made and the ones that Marco has made and the ones that other folks have made over the years, take them and use them in your own environment and see what works for you. There is no right or wrong answer. It's always funny, though, when a podcast host changes microphones, everybody notices. And you're bound to find people who hate your new mic and loved your old one. Or are so relieved that you finally got rid of that piece of junk you've been using all this time. 
you will hear both responses. And just keep in mind, it's a good thing because it means people are listening. My second sponsor is Squarespace, the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. I've been using Squarespace for years now. I made a fun site called The Bacon Method. Go to baconmethod.com. That's a Squarespace site. It looks nothing like any other Squarespace site you've ever seen. Why? Because I had a very, very specific idea of what I wanted. And Squarespace, it lets you do everything. That whole thing is like completely custom. I took a template, but I totally changed it up. And I didn't change it up with HTML. I didn't change it up with CSS. I just used a little sliders. Squarespace has the most amazing configuration panel. It lets you create pretty much any site that you might imagine. And if you want to sell stuff, you can sell stuff. If you want to host your podcast, you can do that. If you want to, if you're a band and you want to have like a really cool MP3 player and put the MP3 player up there, you can do that. Or if you just want to blog or if you're a restaurant and you want to have your menu up there and your hours, you're an artist, you're a performer, you're a politician, your doctor's office, like there are templates that will work perfectly for all these. And then you can totally customize them, upload your own images or use them to help you find images because they've got stock photography built in. You can even have, you can even make your logo with Squarespace all right there. It's amazing. And it starts only eight bucks a month. That's right. Eight bucks a month. And you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So here's what you can do. Support this show. Go to squarespace.com slash podcast method. Just going that URL supports the show. It says thank you to me and I appreciate it. It means I can keep doing shows. But there's an offer code, podcast method, one word, that will get you 10% off your first purchase and make it eight bucks, starting at eight bucks. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5 by 5 and the podcast method, squarespace.com slash podcast method. Now, an interesting topic, one thing that I just want to go over a little bit today and take, take a couple more of your minutes to talk about. I've talked before about alternative ways to get your show to be supported, to make a little bit of money, maybe a lot of money if you have a cool show and a lot of listeners. We here typically at 5x5, most of our shows are primarily supported by sponsorships, by advertisements. Well, you just heard one. You heard two in this, uh, in this show so far. And hopefully, if you like the show, you'll go check out Linda. You'll go check out Squarespace. And that's good because if they see traffic, and maybe even better than that, you sign up for their stuff using one of these codes, then that actually makes them money. And in turn, they come back and they say, wow, Dan, your show podcast message is really performing. We want to sponsor it more. That means I can afford to take time to do the shows. But that's, of course, as I mentioned, it's not the only way to make money. Another way to make money is through something like Patreon. People say, what, what, what is the word you're saying? Patreon? E-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon. It's a really wonderful way for people to come in and support your show through donations. And it works in two ways. You can either have a regular monthly subscription where people say, I'll give you a dollar a month or five or 10 or whatever. I'll give it to you every month because you provide entertainment every month. And then the other way to do it is to have a donation happen whenever you create something. So people would say, I'll give you $3 for every creation. And then if, you, if your creation is a podcast, whenever it comes out, 
people are going to get charged three bucks or whatever you set. Three is just an example. So that's another really great way to do it. You can have donations through PayPal. You can use Memberful for donations, lots of different ways. And I want to talk a little bit more, though, about the affiliate code way of making some money. And so what that is, is let's say, let's, let's, use, uh, let's use this show as an example. I often link on this show to uh, podcasting equipment. And if I link to it on a site where I have an affiliate relationship with them, like Amazon, and you click the link, then I will get a very, very, very small affiliate kickback, I guess you could call it, from that. So if I link to the Sure SM7, and you click that link, and then you go and say, oh, that, that's the mic I want, I want to buy it, and it's 300 bucks. I might make $3 from that. But that's $3 that I didn't have before. It might not be 3 it might be buck fifty. I, I'm not even uh, sure. But I'll make a tiny little bit. But that's a way that it doesn't cost you any money because you're buying something that you wanted. But I'm getting a little token thank you from that. But that can add up. Imagine if you have hundreds or thousands of downloads and you recommend something or you talk about something or maybe you're reviewing a book and you say, hey, go check out the links. The show notes has a link to this book. People buy the book, you make a little bit of money. I think that's super important. The one thing that I believe strongly is make it clear uh, to the people when you're directing them there that, uh, that that's, that's a way for them to help you. Let them know this is an affiliate link. Go check out the show notes. Clicking those links helps support me. It helps support this show that you guys love. And I think people will be excited to do it. And in fact, you, you'll find people will say, hey, I really uh, want to support your show. What is your code or what's your affiliate link? Or I want to find that link to that thing that you talked about on your show so I can support you. It's a wonderful relationship with your listeners. And I, t- I very highly encourage that. But that brings me to the whole subject that's been in the news a lot in, in the geek space news a whole lot recently. And that is the concept of ad blocking. It's been a very big topic. And uh, I enjoyed talking to my friend Jim Dalrymple about this on the last episode that he and I did of Amplified earlier in this week. And I also talked to Merlin Mann on Back to Work about the topic earlier this week. I'll put both of those links in the show notes. If you want to hear from Jim, who is an independent content creator, he runs The Loop, which is an Apple publication on the web. It's really, it's about Apple. It's about iOS. It's about iPhones and computers. And he's been doing it for a number of years. It's a great blog. And he and I really got into the nitty gritty of what's the future of advertising on the web with ad blocking, content tracking, blockers, all of this. It's, we're seeing the web change. Well, podcasting has always had built-in ad blockers. If you think about it, that skip 30 seconds button in pretty much every single uh, podcast app that exists, the reason that the skip forward 30 seconds button is there is to skip through ads. Let's be honest about it, right? I said this on those two other shows. I'll say it here. That's what that's for. Oh, well, I just got bored with that one section and I wanted to jump forward. Yes. That happens too, but really it's to skip through ads. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. It's the ad skipping button. It's the content blocker for podcasts and that's okay. And there are lots of reasons why people might skip through an ad. 
And I'll tell you what I, as the person making shows that rely on listeners listening to the sponsorships, here's, here's the valid reasons. Here's when I'm all right with you skipping through the spots. I had two spots today, Linda and Squarespace. Let's say that you already have a Squarespace site. Skip through the spot. Let's say you're already a Linda customer. Skip through the spot. Let's say you've heard each of those ads a whole bunch of times. Is it okay to skip through that spot? Well, I understand if you're going to. I understand you're also limited on time. You're already listening to this episode at two times speed and You've got 18 more awesome podcasts to listen to on your drive home and you've only got 45 minutes left. No, I totally get that. I totally get why you might want to skip through the ads. But just remember that the, that these ads and your response to these ads are how we can make the shows in the first place. And that's the struggle that people are seeing online with ad blocking. If you're blocking the ads and the content trackers and all this other stuff that these sites are are based on, where are they going to get their money to pay the people who are creating that content? We know paywalls don't work out very well online. And I don't know if subscription podcasts would work. So we have Patreon, we have PayPal donations, and we have sponsorships, which turn into ads on the air. And we need you to listen to them and we need you to sign up using our promo codes if that's the interesting thing for you. I mean, we would never want, I would never want you to sign up for something that you didn't need. But I think it's very, it's a very tricky situation for these websites that are potentially going to see their ad revenues really affected. If you never clicked on the links, if you never visited our sponsors and never signed up for anything, we wouldn't be able to do any shows here. It's a frustrating situation, though, because let's be honest, you know, Squarespace, Linda, they're great and they sponsor a bunch of our shows. But if you listen to like three or four shows that we do, you're going to hear those ads three or four times. I don't blame you for wanting to skip through them. Kim Potter on Twitter asked me, he's at Kim Potter. He says, What's a, what do you think of the philosophy of only taking sponsorships you personally believe in versus just taking the money? I am very, very, very much in favor of that philosophy. Over the last, I guess, six, seven, six years of podcasting full time, I can tell you that the very rare occasions when we had a sponsor come to us and say, oh, we want to sponsor you guys, and me thinking, "Mm, I'm not totally sure they're going to be a good fit, but let's do it anyway. The one or two times when I said that, oh, it was bad. The audience rejected the sponsor, wrote nasty emails about how terrible they were, and I learned my lesson really fast. This was a long time ago. It's not. It's not like we had like, you know, the CD sponsors or anything. It just I knew I knew that they wouldn't necessarily be a good fit, or I personally wasn't excited about what they were doing. But it turns out that the companies that are sponsoring podcasts, generally speaking, tend to be pretty cool. They tend to be pretty hip. They tend to get it. They tend to be more interested in making cool stuff and putting it in front of a cool audience. And we say no to sponsors all the time. All the time. Because we don't think that they'll fit with the audience or we don't have a show for them to advertise on. And it stinks because there's a lot of money out there. 
But you have you have to keep that in mind. When you say yes to a sponsor, you're selling your listeners to that sponsor. Think of it like that. Because you're going to be taking that time away from their lives and telling them about that sponsor. It's a big deal. So, Kim, to answer your question, I absolutely support that philosophy. And I think it's, I think it's really tough, but you're making something. You want it to represent you. You want it to represent your quality that you're, you're putting out. So sponsors have to be good. They have to be right. A lot of people have asked me, what's the status of your upcoming podcast service? We want tracking. We want podcast hosting. We want cool stuff. It's very, very close. Let me give you an update on that. I don't like talking about things that I'm not uh, done with and I'm not ready about, but because you guys are listening to this show and because you're special, uh, I will tell you a little bit more about that. I probably spend eight hours a day working on it and, and have for many months. How is that possible? Well, when I'm not in here recording a show or out there editing a show, I am writing code. That's pretty much my life. Uh, I have help doing it. I'm not the only one doing it. A really, really great developer working on it with me. But it, it is there is a lot to launching a podcast tracking and hosting platform. And it's the tool that I built over many years to run 5x5, adapted updated and essentially completely rewritten from the ground up to be a new product that is something that anyone could use. The part of the system that uh, that we do is we, we're not involved at all. The app does nothing to help you record a show. It's not one of those, launch your browser, find your friends, hit record, and we'll send you an MP3. We're not doing that. Those exist. If you want that, go for it. Uh, use those services. I'm a firm believer that the best podcasts are going to happen with people in front of microphones recording into, uh, into an app like Logic and then doing some, some editing on that. That's my belief right now. It might change. People are working hard at other solutions, and I'm very open-minded to that. I'm looking forward to the time when you can record through a browser and have a wonderful, uh, wonderful end result. We're, we're getting close. Maybe you, people would even argue that we're there I'm looking forward to that. I want that. Uh, but we're not, that's not what this software does. What this software does is once you have that file, everything else. And we've got a lot of surprises. I have made, like I've said, I've made so many mistakes over the years. I have learned so much about pre-post-processing, about how to build the kind of website, the kind of RSS feed, the kind of uh, integration with other services uh, by making those mistakes. So hopefully the system that we've built is going to be something that will help people say, I've got a file. How do I get it out there to the world? How do I get it out there in a way that uh, that's useful and productive and simple and straightforward and easy and fun to do and doesn't involve setting up tons of services, doesn't involve using services that that don't provide you with really, really fast downloads and et cetera, et cetera. So working very hard on that, it's, 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 I, I don't want to say, I, anytime I say, oh, it's, it's basically done, I'll realize there's something else. But we're at the point now where we're almost ready to flip that switch for our beta testers. And if you want to be a beta tester, I will be, uh, I'll be announcing over the next uh, week or so the way to go and sign up to be one. 
So uh, thanks for your interest in that. That's very, very exciting because I feel like there are plenty of solutions out there now to do this. I hope that what we've built is different and good and something that you would want to consider. Uh, so thank you for the interest in that. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to putting it out there. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Go check out our sponsors. Uh, we'll be putting out more of these episodes and working hard on that video for you guys to explain the whole mix minus remote guest uh, and remote recording process that we use here. And thanks for tuning in. Go check out the show notes, 5by5.tv slash podcast method slash 15. And uh, I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. If you're going to ask me a question there, please use the hashtag podcast method. That way I will see it when I come in here to record. And next week I will focus a lot more on your questions. Thanks for listening. See you soon.